All right, let's take our Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. I, I told you before, and I, I hope I don't get in trouble with God here to start my message, but my, of course, I, I, I say going home before their time, but my list of people that need to go home before their time in God's doesn't even intersect in one spot. Anybody else have the same experience? Yeah. I could give God a, a list of at least 10 people that if they died, there would be 100 people doing cartwheels. Do you know anybody like that? <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I just, uh, is it okay to be honest? Or should we put on our little religious front and pretend like nothing bothers us, right? We always have ultimate faith. And I, I you know, and, and Brother Gip is right. You get in an argument with God. I, I don't think God minds if you're honest with him. But in the end, just remember, he won. Okay? He won the argument, no matter what you think about it. Because he's God. He knows what he's doing. But boy, I, you know, Rick Weston, I miss him. I'm going to miss Brother Luther, Heidi Holt. I don't know. I just... Uh, my uh, youngest daughter has a theory about that. She says a lot of those ones you think should go, they, God's given them another chance to get saved. Even some of the professing Christians, God's given them a, another chance to get saved. Amen. She also said God doesn't want them up there yet. <laughs> the other ones, he likes them too, so he wants to hang out with them. So I don't know. I don't know. But God is right. He's never been wrong <clears throat> one time in the history of anything. First John chapter 1, I want to go back to something we were working on a little while back. And it's, it's important because honestly, if you don't grasp the concepts in these verses, verses 5 through 10, First John chapter 1, if you don't grasp them, your walk with God is going to be severely hindered. And then you're going to come into a time in your life where something happens. There's going to be some kind of train wreck in your life. Uh, it could be internal. It could be external. It could be purely circumstantial. It could be in the family, out of the family, whatever. And you're really going to need to be grounded in these concepts. And if you're not, I've watched more Christians fall out over these things you know, we worry about, I, I remember, how many of you are old enough to remember when Madeline Murray O'Hare was going to wipe Christianity off the face of America? Remember that? And I think what's ironic is her, her son is a believer and he preaches the gospel now and she's gone. Okay? She spent her whole life fighting a God that didn't exist. And, you know, everybody's worried about, I mean, she's been dead at least 10 years, maybe 20 and I still, once in a while, I'll have somebody come up to me in the foyer and hand me, did you know what Madeline Murray O'Hare's going to try to do now? She's going to try to get legislation. She's dead. <laughs> She's not going to bother us from the grave anymore. Don't worry. <laughs> and we get all worked up about these, these, these atheists, you know, Christopher Hitchens and whoever else. And you know what? I have seen very few believers trip over them. What I have seen a lot of believers trip over is a lack of understanding when it comes to matters of the conscience. 
Folks, the conscience is where we live. Let me just give you a, a, a right here and now, right in front of you where you, you'd have to trip over it to get away from it, example. How good you feel right now about everything has more to do with the state of your conscience at this moment than any other factor. And, and, and let, me, let me break it down a little further. If everything around you is wonderful and your conscience is killing you about something, are you going to enjoy all that wonderfulness? Obvious answer is no. And folks, we've all been there. So, and by the way, our conscience is an alarm. And uh, have you ever been in a building where an, a false alarm went off? Sure. You ever been in a building where the alarm went off and it was time to get out of the building? Yeah. And so understanding issues of the conscience is, is what this particular portion of Scripture is about. And the reality of sin that we have to deal with on a daily basis, how it relates to our conscience, how to get rid of it, what provisions God has made, and how to implement those provisions, and are you ready for this? How the deceiver, remember the devil is a what? He's a mime. He's a mime. Look, if God was standing here and, and the devil wanted to fool you, he wouldn't show up standing over here dressed in a red suit with a set of horns and a long pointy tail and a pitchfork and a bad case of halitosis. That's not how he would appear. He would appear looking just like him. As an angel of light. Why? To deceive you. To get you looking over here and then start telling you things about him that aren't true and get you mad at him over what he said about him that isn't true. Did I lose you or are you still with me? <laughs> and he's done it to all of us. He did it to Israel. They were out in the wilderness one time and they said, God, you brought us out here because there weren't enough graves in Egypt. Where did they get that? Who sold them on that concept? This is a God that parted the Red Sea, delivered them from the iron furnace of Egypt, blessed them, fed them, clothed them, gave them shoes that didn't wear out in 40 years. How'd you like a set of those? You thought Danners were good. And you brought us out here, God, because there weren't enough graves out here. You brought us out here to bury us out here. You fooled us. You said you were going to take us to a land of milk and honey, but you just did it to kill us all. Where did they get that? They got that for the, from the guy standing over here, imitating the guy standing over there. And his tactics haven't changed, folks. Go rewind further back, go to Genesis chapter 3. When he comes to Eve, that's the thing he does. He convinces God, he, he convinces Eve that God is a meanie. Oh, you can't eat from every tree? What's with that? Why wouldn't God let you eat from every tree? What a mean God. His tactics haven't changed. Oh, God didn't tell you the truth. He doesn't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because all these great things are going to happen. 
you're going to know good and evil. Boy, wouldn't you like to go back to the tree that would help you unlearn good and evil and just know good? By the way, that tree was there. It was called the tree of life. But they took, took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He told them half-truths and full lies, and he lied against God, and he slandered God. And he's still doing it today. And so to understand these matters of the conscience in dealing with sin and our sin nature and what to do about sin and what God has provided is absolutely essential. So let's take a look at it in verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now we talked about this. Light always dispels darkness, just like heat dispels cold. And God, who is right, vanquishes Satan, who is evil. And by the way, the Bible does not teach dualism. God is eternal, but Satan is not. Dualism teaches two eternal, the good and evil is an eternal battle. It's not an eternal battle. God never had a beginning. Satan did. God doesn't have an end. Satan will. And it's not an eternal battle because darkness is not going to keep up with light. Evil is not going to keep up with, with God. God will eventually do away with it. And so we talked about this in, in chapter, in verse 5. And, and God's nature is the reason for part of the reason for our difficulty in fellowshipping with God because we have sin, but he doesn't. And that sin causes darkness in our, in our lives and he's light. And so then we pick up at verse six, at verse six. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So who is this in verse 6? Well, this is a believer that's out of fellowship. This is a believer that's out of fellowship. The need here is repentance. By the way, repentance is the lost cord of the ministry in Christianity in our country. There was a day not more than a couple hundred years ago, say early 1800s, and before and a little while after that, where every pulpit in America, regardless of the brand of Christendom so-called, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, was preaching repentance. You need to get right with God. Now, they didn't all have the right plan of salvation. Uh, the Catholic priest might get up and tell them, you know, if you don't get to Mass more regular and you don't come to confession and pray to Mary and whatever, you're going to go to hell or maybe purgatory. But still, they were trying to put the fear of God in people. Do you know what's wrong with our culture now? Preaching has been replaced by psychology. And, and instead of a sinner, you're a victim. And, and you accept Jesus now instead of the, 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 the payment for your sins against the thrice holy God. You accept Jesus 
to help you along the way so you can have your best life now because you deserve it. God's been a toad up till now because you're a victim. It's his fault. Isn't God the God of circumstances? And so now he's finally giving you something good, so take it because you deserve it. Guess what? That ain't going to get you into heaven. You got to come to God as a sinner that sinned against a thrice holy God. And you got to acknowledge that because of that sin, you deserve to go to hell. And then you receive Jesus Christ is that propitiation, that payment for your sins that we've talked about. And that's the lost cord in Christianity. Now look, folks, it's not only the lost cord among the lost, it's the lost cord among believers. Folks, your need for repentance doesn't stop after you make that one trip down the aisle and receive Christ as your personal Savior. You look at verse 6, this is the need here. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. I don't know how many Christians, only God knows, have, have quit attempted to walking with God, quit coming to church, quit reading their Bible, quit professing Christ, because, well, you know, I did this for years, and it just didn't work. And they've been walking in darkness ever since they made that profession of faith. Or they walked in light for a while and turned and started walking in darkness, and everything is coming apart spiritually and guess whose fault it is? It's his fault. They're mad at God. And you know what they need to do? They need to repent of walking in darkness and start walking in light. That abundant life that Jesus promised is not going to come to fruition in our lives if we decide while professing light, we walk in darkness. You say, are all those people lost? No. I think in this case, he's talking about somebody who's saved. And, and we can do that, folks. Have any of you ever been there? For an hour? A day. Oh, not me. <laughs> Never been that long with me. <laughs> Don't ask me to tell the truth on some of you. <laughs> when we talk about the altar, it's this thing here. You say, why do you say that? Because some of you haven't seen it in years. Hello. Just because I'm getting old don't mean I'm getting soft. <laughs> and folks, it's the lost cord. And it's the same need. And if, we're, if we don't, I, I, the thing I like about David, you've heard me say this before. David didn't have a lot of faults, but boy, he sure made the most of the ones that he had. But the good thing about David is he had a hair-trigger repentance mechanism. I mean, when Nathan came up and said, Thou art the man, he didn't start getting mad at Nathan. He didn't have Nathan executed. He could have. In fact, he named one of his sons who? Nathan. He appreciated the man of God sticking his finger in his face and saying, Thou art the man. And out of that incident, we get Psalm 51, David's beautiful prayer of repentance. And folks, uh, it, it's needed among God's people. And, and, and this guy here in verse 6, this is what was needed. Uh, he, he, he began to say everything stinks, but what he was smelling was himself. 
He got critical of everyone else. But what he was seeing was himself. And one of the best litmus tests of all this is in the home. Do you spend a lot of your time at home critical of your spouse? You, you might, you might want to consider that you're looking in the mirror and seeing yourself here. And that's what's causing that discontent. By the way, in marriage, you're not going to change your spouse by telling your spouse to change. But you can control yourself. You can't change yourself. That is one thing you have control over. All right, now let's look at verse 7. Now that we've made all kinds of friends here. Well, I mean, isn't it true? We love to hear preaching aimed at someone else. Wouldn't it be more fun this morning if I just bashed the queers? Oh, it's gay pride weekend. Let's bash the queers. Uh, I got a feeling if all the professing Christians in America were walking with God, the queers wouldn't be out of the closet. They wouldn't be marching around and bragging and stealing God's promise of the rainbow. So what we'll do here is we'll take care of our own, our own backyard right now. And we were in their backyard yesterday. We did that. Verse 7. Verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light. Now here's a believer. As he is in the light, we have, here's what we get. We have fellowship one with another. All right, now the equation didn't work in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, verse 6, and we walk in darkness, verse 6, what it equals is we lie and do not the truth. I never was good at math when they started into the equations. The 2 plus 2 stuff and the 10 times 5 and the 16 divided by 4, I get all that stuff, but the equations where you had to balance those things out and n squared times z to the fifth across from some other cockeyed mixture of letters and numbers. By the way, letters and numbers don't go together. Letters are letters and numbers are numbers. How many of you agree with me? Okay. I know this about you. You don't do calculus and you don't do differential equations, okay? My son's into all that crazy math. He studies as an engineer and now he's a, he's a medical whatever. And I don't know what he's going to do next. I told him, I said, son, stop. Just be a dentist, okay? And he was trying to show me differential equations one time. And he's laying all this out. And I mean, he's really trying to show me. He's not bragging. He's just trying to help his dad understand. I said, son, son, son. About five minutes of this while he's going on. I said, son, you might as well be writing Mandarin Chinese down there. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to understand it. And, 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 you know, it's always, and in the end, it's what is the value of N? My, my problem in high school was always I didn't care what the value of N was. <laughs> so why would I go through all the trouble trying to find out the value of N when I didn't care what it was? <laughs> But we've got an equation here. Look at verse 6. We say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness. What does that equal? We lie and do not the truth. So the answer here, the need is repentance. And by the way, 1 John 1, 9 is what it's all about. This is where we're going. If we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what? 
cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Clean up the mess we made. Wow. Why would you run and hide from a God like that? Just go to him and let him clean it up. That's how you got saved, right? That's how you stay right with God as a Christian. Look at verse 7. Look at, look, look at, look at verse 7. The, the equation works here. He says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, verse 5, we find out that's where God dwells. You want to hang out with God? Hang out in the light. You want to hang out with Satan? Hang out in the darkness. It's real simple. We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Real blood-bought fellowship here with other believers comes from real fellowship with God. Ever notice so many of those descriptions of our friendship, you want to call it, uh, starts out with fellow laborers, yoke fellows. Those are those that are in the yoke together, working together. Um, look, you know, you can come to church and talk about the Broncos, that's okay. But that only goes so far. That's not why we're here. Okay? Uh, you can come to church and talk with the other brethren about Chevys and Fords. But that only goes so far. That's not why we're here. The Bible talks about fellowship. Fellowshipping together. Praying and worshiping God together. How does a diverse group like this come together? Except God is the glue. God is the bond. I mean, I've been saved 50 years last month. And I have friends all over the world, all over the country, and here in the, and if it wasn't for Christ, we, we wouldn't have given each other the time of day. But God brought us together. And this is blood-bought fellowship. The Bible says, can two walk together except they be agreed. So we walk in the light, verse 7, as he is in the light. And we know that our position is secure in Christ. We saw this in Colossians chapter 1. Positionally, we are secure in Jesus Christ, but our fellowship depends, <clears throat> excuse me, on walking in the light. And that's what we're doing here this morning. We're trying to enhance that in our lives, walking in the light. The singing, the fellowship, the preaching, the camaraderie of it. Oh, and by the way, <clears throat> being in a place where we're reminded we're not the only oddball out there. Because you model your life after the word of God, you're going to look like an oddball out there. And that's okay. Amen? That's okay. This world has lost its mind. I I'm okay not being part of it. I I'm in it, but I'm not of it. And I don't mind if they look at me and think I'm a little weird. Because I'm sure they're weird. <laughs> it's okay. But it's good to come together with fellow believers, isn't it? I love you this morning. I love you this morning. Hey, thanks for putting up with me. And I accept your thanks in me putting up with you. Because I know it goes without saying. <laughs> you know, I was watching some video. They were doing the video tribute with uh, Luther yesterday. And just, uh, you know, 
why is it we always say all kinds of great things about people after they die? You got something nice to say to somebody about them, go up to them and tell them before they die. They're going to get a lot more out of it. <laughs> and he was a great guy. He was my kind of guy. He was a man's man. He was a hardworking guy. And uh, we, we got along good. And, and, I, and I'm going to miss him. But you know what? He's, it's like I told the told him yesterday, he still needed to get saved. You don't get to heaven because you're a great guy and you're a hardworking guy. That's not, that's not how you get to heaven. Real blood-bought fellowship here. Now notice verse 8. Notice a hypothetical statement here that he gives. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin. The truth is not in us. And I know verse 8 is a believer because of what follows in verse 9. Now, you say, well, where's the lost guy? He's in verse 10. Take a look at verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his what is not in us. Okay. So if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, I've, I've met some of these people. I, I met a guy one time years ago. I visited him in the hospital, pastoring back in Pennsylvania, and somebody in my church asked me to go see this guy, and the amazing thing about him is that he told me sitting there, he said he was saved, and he said that he hadn't sinned one time in the last 20 years. i was pretty impressed, but not in the way he thought. <laughs> um, you know, when somebody talks like that, I, I, think of, I think of Luke chapter 16, verse 15, when Jesus says, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. When you convince yourself that you just don't sin anymore, you got to lower the bar pretty low. And it gets to be a handful of do's that you do and a handful of don'ts that you don't to convince yourself that you don't sin anymore. Hey, folks, we're all painted with the same brush. And, and we'll go there. We're not going to get there this morning, but we're going to get over to John, John chapter 13 when Jesus talked about after he washed their feet, he talked about he that is clean he doesn't, need, he doesn't need to wash, save his feet. When you get cleaned in the blood of Jesus Christ, there's something that still needs to be cleaned periodically, and it's these feet. And symbolically, that's what comes in contact with earth, terra firma, or the world. And then notice verse 9. Notice verse 9. Here, here's God's bar of soap. Here, here's God's remedy to these things for the believer if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, that's what we need. And it might sound psychological to say this morning that the title of this study is Have You Forgiven Yourself? But it's not. I, it's not. I realize that because of that title, you could throw it into the realm of psychobabble, but it's not. It's the realm of conscience and the realm of spiritual warfare. 
Because when God has forgiven you, what the devil does is he tries to get you to believe he hasn't. Just like before you were saved, didn't he lead you along and say, hey, you're okay, you're okay. Yeah, don't worry about that guy talking about being saved. You're okay, you go to church once a year. But now that you're saved, he wants to convince you of the reverse. The Bible says we are not ignorant of his devices. And boy, this is a big one. Ephesians 6 tells us to put on all the armor of God because we're involved in spiritual warfare. And I've heard it said so many times, and I've probably said it myself. But yeah, I confess my sins, but I don't feel forgiven. Let's look at the verse again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can I leave you with this this morning if you get nothing else? When you can't believe from within that your sins are forgiven and your conscience is bugging you, confess those sins and focus on him and look at the word he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just. He is faithful and just. Go to chapter 3 and look at verse 20. Chapter 3 and verse 20. Now it's better if our heart doesn't condemn us and it's better if we don't sin because the Bible says be sure your sin will find you out. But when we do, look at verse 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is what? Greater than our heart and knoweth what? All things. Five bleeding wounds he bears. Received at Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. And I'm down there struggling with conscience because I have stepped in it. And I've confessed it. But the devil has saddled me up and he's riding me. You're not forgiven. God's tired of you. He's sick of this. He's through with you. And the father looks at the son and he sees those five wounds and I am forgiven. So I'm talking to somebody here this morning. In fact, I'm probably talking to a lot of somebody's here this morning, giving the odds and the percentages that you have done some things. You've struggled with some things. You've committed some sins and you brought them to God and you've confessed them, but you don't feel forgiven. Get your focus off your feelings and get them on him. Look at the verse again. Look at verse nine. I want you to look at it. I know you can quote it. I want you to look at it. If we confess our sins, he, who's he? God, not you. Not you, not the person you sinned against. Well, that person won't forgive me. That's their problem. Did you make it right? Did you make amends? And they won't forgive you? Then it's their problem. Amen? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Clean up the mess. Clean up the mess. The conscience. Look, you say, well, my feelings, my feelings. Quit looking at your feelings. Folks, Christianity isn't the religion of a feeling. It's the religion of a book. 
How do I know I'm saved this morning? Because the book says I'm saved. And we're prone to it. You say, how do you, how do you know you're saved? Well, because this happened to me, and I do this, and I do that. that that's always not the first answer. The first answer, someone says, are, are you sure you're saved? Why do you know you're saved? Because the book says I am. Have you confessed your sin this morning? Something you did? Get it right with God? Get back in fellowship with God? Then God says in 1 John 1, 9, you are forgiven. Why? Because he is faithful and just. He, the focus is no longer on you. It's no longer internal. It's no longer subjective. It's on him and it's objective. And you're claiming the promises of the word of God. So I ask you this morning, have you forgiven yourself? Have you forgiven yourself? Because that's usually where the problem lies after we've confessed our sins. Necessary daily cleansing for the believer to stay in fellowship with God. And by the way, we talked about the five judgments in Scripture. We talked about the believer's judgment with Christ at Calvary. And Christ was judged for the penalty of our sins on Calvary. And we join him in that when we trust Christ as our personal Savior. That's our position in Jesus Christ. That's what gives us the privilege of coming to him with daily sins, missteps, errors. And by the way, let me give you one way to discern between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the devil just trying to make you feel guilty when you're not. When you are under conviction by the Holy Spirit, it will be specific. And when you confess it, that conviction goes away. When it's the devil driving you, it'll be vague. And no matter how much praying and confessing you do, that vague sense of guilt will follow you and continue to haunt you. You know what that is? That's Satan. And you know what you do? You identify the lie. You identify the liar. That's one way to discern between these things. Let's finish up here in verse 9. Let's finish up here in verse 9. We are born, we are born twice and we die once as believers. The lost person is born once and they die twice. And so as believers, we are alive. And we seek to walk in the light. But it's a challenge sometimes. And we make missteps and we sin. And so to have a, a hair trigger repentance mechanism is a good thing. But come to God claiming this prob- promise in verse 9. And then, and then leave it in his hands. And go forward from here. And by the way, don't try to do penance. Don't try to do penance. You say, well, I feel like praying more. Feel like praying more because you're glad God forgave you. Well, I'm going to hand out more tracts. Hand out more tracts because you're glad God forgave you. Don't hand the tracts out and don't pray so he'll forgive you. Because according to verse 9, he already did. He already did. Listen, you're not going to get more forgiven by continuing to try to atone for or continuing to try to confess a sin that God has already forgiven you of. He wants you to put it behind you and go forward now. Go forward for him. Let's finish up with verse 10. 
This last guy here is, is lost. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There's a lot of lost people that say they have not sinned. Uh, these are many people that while they might generically acknowledge that they're sinners, because the Bible does say all have sinned and come short of the glory of, of God, uh, off, offhand they can't think of any sins they've ever committed. And they're going to work their way to heaven. I was reading I was reading about Warren Buffett the other day. He's given away 85% of his wealth to charitable organizations that he chose. 85%. Whatever that amount is, that's a lot of money, folks. I think he's the richest man in the world. If he's not, he's close to it. And he said this. He said there's, there's many wonderful ways to get to heaven. But he said this is a great one. I have a go an old gospel track here that gives Charles Haddon Spurgeon's testimony of salvation. And in it, he came under such conviction of sin that no amount of good works, no amount of assurances from anybody except for God would assuage that guilt. That's what Warren Buffett is missing. That's what he's missing. And verse 10 talks about it. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. I'm so glad this morning that the Spirit of God, according to John chapter 16, convinces us of sin, righteousness, and judgment before we're saved. Because you and I could have never been saved without that conviction. The word finds no lodging in the heart of this man in verse 10 who denies the two witnesses of the conviction of the Holy Spirit and of the conscience that they are sinners in need of a Savior. I think of all of the, all of the struggle before I was saved. And if you're saved here this morning, you went through it too. The conviction. Some of you were saved young, and that struggle didn't last a long time. Praise the Lord. But you knew that you had sinned against God. And you knew for that sin, you were going to end up in hell. And by the way, if you hadn't got saved, you'd still be headed there. Or you may have made it already. And some of us, we struggled for a long time. And others prayed for us. And the Spirit of God brought conviction into our lives. And thank God for that conviction. Or we'd still be lost. And some of us this morning would be on our way to hell. But some of us would have already gotten there. I would have been one of them. Aren't you glad you're saved here this morning? Aren't you glad for the truth of these verses? And Christian, if you're struggling with all these concepts of conscience, two things. Number one, remember, your need for repentance hasn't lessened since you got saved. It's just that the purpose is different. You're not trying to get saved all over again. You're just trying to stay in fellowship with the Lord. And it's just like your spouse. It's just like a friend. If something comes between you, you get it right. And God's always there. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So be ready to do that. 
Be ready to do that. Don't kid yourself. If you're walking in darkness, don't pretend that God's got to bring light into your life. He's not going to bring light. He's not going to magnify that light. You're not going to have the abundant life unless you're walking in light. So confess those sins. And then remember this. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I don't feel it. I don't feel it. Then forget your feelings. Get your eyes off of you and get your eyes on him and go according to what he said. Christianity, Christianity is not the religion of feelings and emotions. It's the religion of a book. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Father, I know these subjects, for some, are redundant. There are mature believers here this morning that know these things. Father, may they challenge themselves this morning with the thought, could I teach this? Could I teach this to a younger believer? And may they also challenge themselves with the thought that, yes, there are new believers. There are those that have not learned. They're unlearned. And they need this too. Lord, we need to understand how you work. And we thank you, Lord, that you didn't just save us, give us a ticket to heaven and walk away and make us wander around blindly, groping in the dark. But you give us the details of walking with you each step of the way, how it all works, how it all comes together. And Lord, help us to believe what you said over what the deceiver says to us all the time, the accuser of the brethren, over what our heart sometimes tells us, Lord, or our emotions, or even some other person. But Lord, help us to cling to the word of God. Those wonderful promises. As Oswald Chambers said in Streams in the Desert, he said, tarry by the promise. Tarry by the promise. God always comes by way of the promise. And so we stand today. We stand by the promise, Lord. And we look for your presence because we know, we know that you're about your promises. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Let's take our hymnals and turn to number 666. Arise, my soul, arise.
Amen. All right. Thank you for your patience this morning. I know for some of you that have been saved a long time, this is very uh, academic, but uh, I think you understand for a younger believer that doesn't grasp it, it's critical. It's critical. It's life and death. And so, and for those of you that have known this material a long time, I'm surprised sometimes I'll be dealing with somebody who's been saved a long time and they won't have any grasp of these concepts at all. Remember something, doctrine has gone the way of the dinosaur in Christendom. So people don't know this stuff. So take it with you and tell some other believer that's struggling with these matters. Brother Sherry, is that you? All right, come on up here. I'm going to ask you to close us in a word of prayer. He pastors south of Seattle in a town called Chehalis. Uh, that's kind of the hick country of Washington, isn't it? Western Washington anyways? Cowboy country, okay. That's a nicer way of saying it, amen. All right, amen. Thanks for being with us. And uh, Brother Gear is going to preach for us tonight at 545 in the evening service. Brother, close us in prayer, please. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being good to us. Thank you for the message this morning, the reminder, Lord, that you are faithful. And Lord, even when we might not be faithful and we mess up and it might be an accident, it might be on purpose. But, Lord, thank you that you forgive us. Thank you that you can cleanse our conscience, Lord, with the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for uh, just the assurance of your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for the purity of it. And, Lord, I pray that you bless the message this morning, Lord, that we would leave here better soldiers and servants for you. And, Lord, that we'd be thankful and keep praise on our lips uh, for how good you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen.